wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And on this episode, I have Ruben Allison back from Vortex Optics. I need it to do everything. It's going to do everything. It might not do specific tasks within that everything to the best of its ability, but it'll do it. I've got a bolt action for coyote hunting, and then I've got an AR for hunting pigs, and then I've got an AR for home defense, and I've got this rifle for Western hunting, and I've got this rifle for when I go up and visit my relatives in Maine and I'm hunting moose in the woods. You could talk to somebody who's got one rifle, and you could talk to somebody who's got a bunch of them. And I'm going to say, okay, well, what does that gun need to do? Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And on this episode, I have Ruben Allison back from Vortex Optics. Last week we had Ruben on and we talked about various different scenarios when choosing an optic. This week we're going to continue that conversation and talk more about choosing the right optic for each hunting scenario. So I got a question for you here. Um, so you're, you know, you're a competition shooter, you're a hunter, and uh, I'm sure you have your go-to scope for each category and I'm sure subcategory within, but what is your go-to uh, hunting scope? Um, I, you know, I kind of look at it as like, what's, what am I doing? You know, if um, for, for a long time we made, um, you know, we've had that one and a half to seven, five diamond back. I've got that, uh, on, on a shotgun actually, uh, when, when I would go back to Minnesota and slug hunt, um, I think overall, you know, if you really just had to like put a finger on it, like I would, I would kind of categorize two different, two different types of hunting scopes. I would categorize more of like a simple, just very straightforward, you know, like our dead hold BDC reticle is, it's not complex. There's, there's a couple lines in there, right? You, yep. And once you know what they do and once you know what cartridge is shooting, it's, it's really easy. Uh, just remember the center cross here is your zero that never changes. And then whatever the, those BDC drop lines equate out to for the cartridge you're shooting, write them on a sticker and stick it to your scope or stick it to your stock with a piece of tape. Um, you know, that's kind of the simple hunting scope. And for that, I think that the Viper HS two and a half to 10 has kind of been my go-to since about like 2010, 2011, that scope has, it was actually one of the first scopes I got from Vortex before I was an employee. Um, I was, I was an employee of a retail chain, uh, a really cool retailer, uh, in, in Minnesota. And that was actually the first hunting scope I got, um, that two and a half to 10 by 44 Viper HS, you know, there's, there's been a couple of instances where I've talked to customers that, you know, they run a one inch tube and they don't want to change out their rings. It, the, the Viper HS is a 30 millimeter main tube. So if you, if you have a one inch, uh, scope set up and you don't want to change your rings, that might be a reason to not go that route. But I think for that kind of again, when you're picking a scope, you look at what you need it to do and what you, you know, what it does, what you want to spend. And then I'm always kind of a firm believer, like there there always used to be this thing where it's like, if you're going to spend 500 on the gun, spend a thousand on the scope, or if you're going to spend, I don't think you need to do that anymore. But I do think that 
if we're looking at optics and especially, you know, when we talk to customers that are hunting in really dense woods, that low light performance is really important. And yes. so I like that, that scope in particular, because it's great in low light. When we talk the, the objective diameter, so that, that when we say two and a half to 10, that's the magnification range. So 2.5 on the low end, 10 on the high end. And then that 44, that's our objective lens diameter in millimeters. And the, the, you know, the amount of light that's led into the scope or the amount uh, that gets back to your eye as called, we refer to that as your exit pupil. And so that's why you start to see that objective diameter as we go higher magnification, that objective diameter grows because we need that exit pupil to stay at a usable level so that we can get a good bright image. So I've always thought that that scope um, does a great job. Uh, recently, we've kind of, you know, we've come out with some of these uh, Razor LHT hunting scopes. Um, before uh, we had the Razor LH, the LH is uh, light hunter. And so uh, I've, I've actually, you know, when, when I look at, you know, spending 700 or a thousand dollars on a rifle, you know, when you talk about some of these brands that have come along, you know, the Tikas, the Bergaras, um, you know, the Rugers, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money to get a really, really good shooting rifle anymore. Yeah. Um, savages come a long ways. I mean, the savages are great now. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of progress and like I mentioned before, I'm a competitive shooter. And so, um, sometimes we really like to push that performance level. And so, you know, I've, I've started, uh, shooting more, you know, started shooting some Seekins rifles, um, yeah, they're great guys. They make great product. Um, I've got, uh, kind of one of my main hunting rifles is a Seekins and I've got another main hunting rifle. It's proof research. Um, I've built a couple of guns and had a couple of guns built. And so when I start looking at that, you know, kind of that next tier of product, like, you know, looking at the proof, the Seekins, um, some of those rifles, uh, I really, I've been looking more at the Razor LH line or the LHT line. Okay. And the three to 15, the three to 15 by 42 came out, uh, I want to say about four years ago or so. And that scope does, uh, it has some of the features of like, you know, when, when you go and you start doing more long range shooting and you're shooting like that, that strike Eagle, that, that Viper PST, that Phantom, um, maybe some customers, you know, shooting that razor line of scopes. You're getting things like an exposed turret, um, you know, a side parallax dial. Uh, some of these, you know, scopes have zero stops on the on the elevation turret or locking turrets. And a lot of those things that kind of translate, you know, come from that competition or tactical world. Man, there's some nice features, right? Some of those features are really helpful. And especially when we talk about longer range shooting and we get into long range hunting. Now, long range hunting, you can define that you define that for what, what you want it to be. Right. Um, I'll never, I'll never look down on somebody who puts the time in, who practices, who knows their craft, who knows their gear and is competent and comfortable doing something repeatably at, at a, at a specific distance that they're comfortable with. Yeah. Right. And that's not going to be the same for everyone. Um, you know, you, you can really see it in pistol shooting, you know, you pass a pistol to a competent uh, pistol shooter and what they can do with it 
is going to be different than somebody who doesn't put the time in or who has never shot a pistol before. Yeah. The same goes with long range shooting. If you've got someone who's practiced, who's put the time in, they've done um, load development on their rifle. They've selected a bullet that they're comfortable with. They've, you know, they've gone and done all the homework and then they practice and they put time in reading wind and calling the wind and, and knowing where to put that shot in the wind. So, Long range hunting. I'm I'm not going to define that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to define that in a yardage, right? Right. But I'm going to say that it's going to be different for everybody. And so when I say when we talk about long range hunting, you're going to have a desire to kind of use a scope that has a lot of the features that you've put in the practice on the long range with with some of the more competition or tactical style style of rifles, and then. But then we get a rifle with, you know, in, in your case, you're shooting Christensen, you got rifles from Proof, you got rifles from uh, Seekin, Savage, um, you know, rifles with carbon fiber wrapped barrels, you know, we're shedding weight, we've got a carbon fiber stock. Um, there's a bunch of stuff like that, that we wouldn't want to take that rifle and then put a big heavy scope on it. Right. You know, you could, right, because you've saved a bunch of weight on the rifle, but we've looked at it and we've seen, you know, the, the call come from our customers that, Hey, I want, I want a scope that has a lot of those features that I'm used to um, putting in, you know, rounds on the range uh, plink and steel, but I want those in a lighter weight scope, more compact. And so I can translate some of those skills I've learned on the long range and I can put it on my hunting rifle. And so the LHT for us kind of does that, right? It's a scope that's in the, low to mid 20 ounces and um i guess it depends on i don't know how long you've been kind of i guess probably you said about 10 years kind of been following along with vortex but um you know in like 2016 we came out with this series of scopes uh called the amg uh the razor amg and it was a 6 to 24 by 50 and that scope took a lot of the features from our our razor four and a half to 27 which is a, a a bigger scope, but also it was heavier. And, and for what it was made for, for that precision rifle shooting, it was exactly what it needed to be. Um, cause guys are adding weights to those rifles, right? So it's not yeah. like they're trying to shave weight on a lot of them. They're actually physically adding half pound weights out onto the hand guard and stuff like that. Yeah. And so being a 44 or 46 ounce scope didn't hurt it in that application, but customers wanted those features, but they wanted it in a lighter weight. And, and a more compact package. So when they looked at that four and a half to 27 razor or the five to 20 razor or, and and I'm going to go outside of the vortex line, some of the other, you know, scopes in the marketplace that were doing that same purpose. um, There's, there's a bunch of them out there and a bunch of really good ones. So when, when we looked at it, we're like, okay, we have customers that want those same features and they want the optical quality, but they want it lighter and smaller. Yeah. Um, the six to 24 AMG, excuse me, came in at about 28.8 ounces. Um, and it was around the same length as, you know, a razor four and a half to 27, but again, much lighter, um, you know, somewhere, somewhere in that 20 ounces lighter category. And so, but that, that scope, um, still was a little bit more expensive. And so when we were developing the LHTs, our development team looked at, you know, what customers want and what, you know, what they want to pay and what they want the optic to do. That LHT actually, um, about two years ago, we came out with a first focal plane version, which 
again, that's one of those features, one of those keywords that, you know, people are looking at in that long range shooting community. First focal plane is very popular. Um, and so first focal plane LHT four and a half to 22, uh, it's, uh, if I could, if I had to pick two scopes from our lineup for hunting, I would kind of say like, okay, which one do I want to adjust my zero as I shoot longer ranges and which one do I just want to hold? Yeah. I'm probably going to go the, the two and a half to 10 by 44 Viper HS. And I'm probably going to go the four and a half to 22, um, LHT. And that's, um, as long as I could drag out that answer for, I apologize. I didn't try and go that long, but no, those that was two scopes perfect. for those reasons. That was perfect. That's kind of where I'm at. And, and I, I appreciate that. And I see the value in it because you, you know, you're around these scopes every day and you, you know, each one down to the most minor detail, the major details as well. And to hear your reasoning on each scope and, and why that I appreciate that. I really do. And, uh, that actually helps me with my, some of some future purchases that I'm going to be doing and, and reasons why. And so yeah. I do appreciate that. And I know anyone that's listening right now is going to find the value in, in, in everything you just covered. So I appreciate that. Well, and I think too, it's, you know, you know, we could, we can go down a lot of rabbit trails, right? Like you could say, well, Hey, I've got one rifle. I'm, I'm only going to have one rifle. What scope should I get? And whether it be when, when you're designing an optic and I'm not, I'm not an optical designer. I'm not an engineer. I'm not the guy in there, you know, putting in the work designing these products that provides some feedback to our design teams. But those guys are really the smart guys. I'm kind of like, uh, I need this. Uh, how can we do this? So those, I'm going to give all credit where credit's due. They're the ones that are putting in the hard work on that. Yeah. Um, but it changes when you say I have one rifle, I need to do I need it to do everything. It's like, okay, well, it's going to do everything. Might not do every, it might not do specific tasks within that everything to the best um, of its ability, but it'll do it. Right. Right. So, but then you talk to somebody who's like, well, I've got, I've got a 22, 250 or a 22 Creedmoor or, or a 243 or six millimeter, whatever they're shooting. Right. I've got, a bolt action for coyote hunting. And then I've got an AR for hunting pigs. And then I've got, you know, uh, an AR for home defense. And I've got this rifle for Western hunting. And I've got this rifle for when I go up and visit my, my relatives in Maine and I'm hunting moose in the woods. Like, right. You could talk to somebody who's got one rifle and you could talk to somebody who's got a bunch of them. And I'm going to say, okay, well, what does that gun need to do? Well, this, I just take, this is just my pump 30 out six. I just take this and it's just in the woods moose hunting. It's like, okay, well, and let's pick a scope for woods hunting on that rifle for moose. Right. Yeah. And then, then it's like, well, okay, let's, let's look at the gun for hog hunting in Texas. What do you want to do with it? Well, I just hunt hogs and I hunt them, you know, uh, at night with a clip on thermal in front of it. It's like, all right, let's pick a scope just for that. But then we're not going to look at that. We're not going to critique it and say, this isn't a good Western hunting setup because we didn't, we didn't build it for that. Right. Right. Um, So that's kind of how I look, I look at like the more we want to make something more specific, the, the more it's not going to do other things as well. Right. But it's going to do that thing. You, it's going to do that thing really, really well. Yeah. Uh, And, and that's kind of one of the things that I think is, um, 
you know, I was talking with a friend of mine today about, you know, talking about uh, pistols for competition shooting. And he's a guy that's just getting into it more. And we were talking about it and um, he, he uh, kind of equated it to something else, but it was, I thought it was really cool. Cause it's like, when I look at something, if I'm picking a pistol for shooting uh, carry optics division in USPSA and um, I want to shoot this round. I want to shoot, you know, I want to use this holster. It's like, okay, that's going to be pretty specific setup. Like there's probably shops that you can walk in and be like, I want to buy this thing. But sometimes those things get so specific that you're ordering one part online from this place and you're calling a guy to see where he got this other thing. And, and it's like, uh, it becomes so specific that somebody would look at it and they'd be like, well, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a very good gun for this. And it's like, no, that's, that is not what it was made for. Right. And, and in fact, like when I look at, when I look at my 2011 that I shoot in three gun competitions, you could, you could really easily look at that and be like, well, that wouldn't be very good for concealed carry. It's like, no, it's 56 <laughs> ounces. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, you'd have to wear two belts just to keep, you know, to keep your pants from falling off if you carried it inside the waistband. That's, um, that's but funny. yeah, so, you know, things we can go down all these caves and rabbit holes and try and, and get more and more specific. And, and sometimes people do want to do that. You know, sometimes people are looking for something for a very specific purpose. And that's kind of one of my favorite parts of the job is almost like, uh, it's kind of like, if this, then this, you know, it's like a, a yeah. chart and, yeah. and you can be like, all right, th- does it have, does it have to do this? No, it doesn't. Okay. Well then let's go this route. And then you branch off again. I don't know if that's called a flow chart or what, but I'm, I think I'm it not is. really a statistics guy. <laughs> no, I think, I think it is, but no, it makes sense. It really <laughs> <Cool>. does. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Uh, I felt like uh, <laughs> when you said the two different guys, you got the guy that's got one gun and then you got the guy that's got a gun for, you know, all the different guns. And I'm like, that's me. I'm the guy that's got it. And I used to not be that way. I used to just hunt with a 270 win and, uh, like it used to kick the crap out of me. I hated shooting it. I killed a lot of deer with it. And, uh, but then as I've gotten older and the more that I, I don't want to get political, but the more that the second amendment has been infringed upon, I have made it my life's goal to increase the average gun per person <laughs> number statistic just on in my household just alone bump that average up yeah baby. <laughs> yeah that's where that's my goal yep bump let's bump that average up yep. hey, you know and and uh you know before the show and and i and i don't want to make anybody feel like they missed out on too much but we had a good little chat before the show just about you know getting youth into shooting and, and kind of that safe responsible firearms usage and um and, you know, you mentioned something about suppressors and, yeah. you know, that, that really rang true with me. Like I speak on, you know, I speak on behalf of myself, but also like, uh, in my professional career with Vortex, uh, we do a lot of training, um, with customers, you know, getting people into shooting, getting people comfortable and familiar with firearms and shooting and, um, you know, being a competitive shooter, like, uh, I kind of look at competition sports and, and, you know, uh, when people talk about, you know, and I, I'm not going to lie, like I'm here in Wisconsin. So I definitely hear about the Packers once in a while. And I definitely appreciate, 
I appreciate athletes at every level of what they do. And, um, you know, when you look at, uh, some of these guys that are elite performers, you know, in the competitive shooting side, like I get to shoot with a lot of those guys who are elite performers and they've, they've dedicated their life to that, to that skill and that craft. And, um, and so I, I get really excited when I see people, you know, who, who maybe weren't into shooting or who maybe, uh, don't necessarily have that background of shooting or firearms ownership. I get excited when I see people that, that get excited about it. Yeah. And um, so one of, one of the greatest things that about my job is that I get to be around a lot of people who are having some of their first experiences shooting. And, uh, and we've talked quite a bit about it, um, you know, with the guys that I get the chance to work with my team at Vortex um, are surrounded by an absolutely fantastic team of, of people who uh, love their job. They're passionate about what they do and they're passionate about seeing people get into shooting, getting, getting into hunting, getting into, um, you know, getting into optics learning more about the gear that we use for that. And, um, you know, one of the things that we started doing a few years ago with some of our trainings, especially the ones where we're, we're getting people into shooting who haven't previously been into shooting is, um, you know, running suppressors on, on the firearms. And it's been awesome to see that, from what I thought initially was, was just kind of cool, right? Like when yeah. I moved to Wisconsin, suppressors, suppressors were not yet legal in Minnesota where I came from. And when I moved here and I saw people using suppressors, I was like, well, that's kind of taboo like that. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I thought it was cool, but it was just different. I hadn't grown up around it. Yeah. And so coming here, it was like, man, that's, that's, that's cool, but that's different. And so when I got, and I first started buying suppressors, I bought them. I thought they were just cool. Like these things are awesome. This is cool. But, you know, kind of like you talked about, like normalizing second amendment stuff and normalizing things like suppressors, uh, man, they just make sense. Like yeah. when we get people and we're shooting, um, you know, having people who have never shot a gun before, we take away the loud explosion right in front of their face. And, and the whole thing changes, it changes everything. Right. Um, we can talk at a normal volume when we're on the range. Um, we, we don't have to worry about that, that big flash and that big explosion, which don't get me wrong, can be really cool in the right environment. Right. But, um, but when we're teaching people, when we're having those experiences with people that are, you know, just getting into shooting or they've ne maybe they've never shot a gun before and they shoot and they're like, well, that, that wasn't so bad. And, um, it's like completely a completely different reaction than if if we're not shooting with suppressor. Um, and there's applications, man, and in competition, uh, specifically in three gun, in in PRS, in, in any of the competitions that are go fast sports. Like most of those guns don't have suppressors. There's there's people that do run them, but you know if you look at the the vast majority of people, they're they're running a muzzle brake, and that's that's like a instead of a, a, a silencer, that's like a, a loudencer. Right. Uh, it's, it makes the gun louder, <laughs> more concussion, right? Like, yeah. So, um, but it's a performance tool, right? It, it makes the gun shoot uh, more shootable, more controllable. It, it allows you to stay on target and, and see that impact. But kind of like we were talking before um, in, in getting my kids involved in shooting. Um, yeah. You can absolutely bet there's a suppressor on that gun. And, and I've looked at it from from like i said from a bunch of different angles it's like man it's great for me because um 
I can kind of provide coaching. I can hear what's going on around me. I can hear if somebody calls the range called behind me, um, you know, and we can have that normal volume conversation as we're talking with people as they're shooting, which is great. I, I think it makes the overall experience better. Um, but, but, you know, also like in, and I've, I've looked at this a little more seriously as, you know, I've got kids and um, I've got four, four young kids now. And, and I thought, man, how cool is that, that my kids think suppressors are normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, it's kind of like when I came here and it was so weird for me. And now after a certain amount of time, it's become like, um, I understand why I understand people's reasonings for not buying a suppressor, you know, the costs involved. Uh, the suppressor cost, the cost of the stamp and the wait time. But I love having that conversation with my dad. Uh, There was a certain amount of time where my, every time my dad would come and shoot, he'd be like, yeah, I'd get a suppressor, but, and you know, it's, it's such a long wait. And finally, I think a couple of years ago, I told him, you know, dad, you've been saying that for five years, you could have had like a new suppressor every year since then. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, and love my dad to death, but uh, but yeah, that is one of those excuses where it's like, you know, I'd get one, but the wait time is so long. And I'm like, man, I just talked to you this time last year and you said the same thing. You'd have it by now. Um, but, but yeah, I just thought, you know, how cool is that? That like to get these people who have never shot before thinking that suppressors are normal. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm kind of speaking on my own behalf here, right? Like, um, this isn't like a press release on behalf of Vortex, but man, I do love it when I see people who are, are just getting into shooting and, and they're thinking like they go to the range, you know, next month with their family and, and somebody doesn't have a suppressor. I'm, I'm excited that they're like, well, that's weird. But why yeah. don't they have suppressors? Yeah. So <laughs> basically change the culture to where, everyone runs a suppressor and you're weird if you don't and uh you know i was that guy that you just described that <laughs> you know all oh, it's the the wait time right and so i i finally just broke down and i went and got three silencer co omega omega 36s and uh i did it because the kids like to shoot the 350 legends and i figured eventually they'll all have their own and uh now we're in the waiting period and um, I'm excited for it because, yep. you know, we're going to get those, I think they're called QDF mounts where we can interchange them and uh, they come, they have, I guess. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Silencer's, yep. Silencer Co. has that ASR mounting system. I think. Okay. There you go. And uh, so that's, that's what we're going to run with them. And I'm going to, I'll probably throw a few back and forth on some of the other rifles just to see how they do. And, uh, I probably, and everybody told me, go ahead and buy however many you want, because once you get them, you're going to realize that you wish you would have done this a lot long, you know, a long time ago. And, uh, so now I'm, after we got done hunting in Texas with suppressors legal and, uh, now I am, I'm like, man, I wish I would have bought a couple more. (laughs) So, but we've got three Yeah, hunting hunting suppressed is just so cool it's like i mean it's like i think that if people could if people look at it from a very like neutral position about hunting with suppressors right it's like all the things um all the things that you know and and it kind of goes back to like um when you're talking to somebody uh who's not maybe super supportive of hunting or maybe somebody who's against hunting and, um, 
you know, one of the things I've said is like talking to people that ha- maybe don't, don't support hunting and, and eating wild game. I, I've, I'll say like, Hey, it's, it's all the keywords though. It's like, it's organic, it's grass fed, free range, GMO free, you know, yeah. uh, it's like, this is the, this is the best meat and, and it's, and I'm getting to feed this to my family. And, um, and it's kind of like suppressors, man. If you take suppressors hunting, you know, uh, if you're, if you're out hunting in public land or, you know, maybe, maybe like one, you know, one of the things I always like to kind of, to see when I'm hunting is like, okay, when I shoot, it doesn't disrupt all the other animals. Like they, they know something happened, but it's, it's not the same effect as if you're hunting unsuppressed. And then also, you know, let's just say you're hunting public land or you're hunting a piece of land with other hunters on it. Like I don't, I don't disrupt their whole hunt um, because I didn't, I didn't spook everything else around me. Um, and, and also like I can, I can get in and out of there and, and not make a huge, um, you know, huge footprint. And, uh, and I think also it, it, it allows you to have, if you do need to, you know, have a follow-up shot, it gives you more time to have a follow-up shot and make that, you know, make that, that ethical kill. And yeah. so I think hunting suppressed is, uh, in my opinion, it's like, um, it's, it's just awesome. Yeah. No, it's, uh, Texas, uh, this last trip made a believer out of me and, uh, you know, I've, I've been around it, I've seen it, but to actually be one of the, you know, to actually participate in a suppressed hunt. Um, and, and like you just said, you know, you don't disrupt the game. Declan killed a big spotted fallow deer. And I'm talking less than a few minutes later, the rest of those fallow bucks started coming back and he picked another one, a big chocolate one and killed that one. And he's three and a half years old and killed two big chocolate or two big fallow, a spotted and a chocolate within minutes of each other. And I'm thinking, you know, one, had it not been suppressed, he wouldn't have been shooting that 350 legend because we had talked earlier. It's just too loud for him. And he's, he likes to shoot the 22 because it's quiet and it's not that big. Yep big bang right in front of his face as you said and uh but since we got that suppressor put on the 350 legend down there um it just it changed the game for him and it opened up an opportunity for him that otherwise wouldn't have been available to him and uh so it's been it's really cool the last few years um to be able to afford to do certain things and be a part of certain things, but to broaden and be open-minded, right? Because I was always a three to nine by 50 scope. You know, that was, that was my scope. It was a three to nine by 50 and I didn't think anything else ever existed. Right. And now we're talking anything from a six to 24, five to 25, you know, two and a half to 10. There, there's so many different varieties out there now. And they're like we talked earlier, they have their own specific applications and it's not just for going deer hunting and shooting a deer within a hundred yards in a wooded area. And now, you know, to, to be a part of different suppressed, I mean, uh, got a thermal last year and it's a clip on because I really didn't want to dedicate a specific gun to nighttime hunting because we travel and we hunt different areas in, in the country. And so a certain gun may serve a better purpose. And so 
when we was in Texas, that thermal was on everything from a 204 all the way up to a 350 Legend. It was, it just depend on what we were doing yep. at the time. And uh, it's really cool, though, that you got companies like Vortex that say we are customer focused. You know, obviously, Vortex is in business to make money. And as consumers, it is, I think, our responsibility or not necessarily responsibility. It is, we shouldn't be naive to the fact that Vortex is making money because otherwise, if you all don't make money, you can't do engineering and development and come out with a better or a newer style scope that has different features, features that we may not even know that we wanted, but now that they're there, we definitely want them. And so, um, I'm, I'm rambling again. I, I, I warned everyone in the beginning. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think one of the, you know, maybe like to explain it, like I, if I'm interpreting you right, it's like, you know, you, you're buying a product from company, right? And, and I think everybody is under the understanding that like, Hey, I'm, I'm buying this product. I know you're, you're making money on it, but I think when, you know, it kind of goes back to our responsibility to take care of the comp to the, take care of the customer. And it's like, look, people, people bought products from us. Like they, they were aware that we're a company and we're in business and we're selling products. And the cool thing is like how seriously everybody at Vortex takes that relationship with our customers. And it's like, it's, I don't want to say an agreement, but it's like, it's almost like, okay, this customer bought our product. We're going to take care of them now. And we're going to make sure that we do our part because they, they supported us and, and we wouldn't be here if they didn't support us. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think back to 10, 12 years ago before, um, you know, I was just starting to hear about Vortex and I remember, um, you know, reading about the warranty and thinking like, Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Right. Like that's neat. Like I didn't think too much about it other than it was kind of unique for the optics industry to have like a no questions asked warranty. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, as I started to get, um, some products and, and, you know, you, you have your dog chew something up and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm sure this isn't covered, but like, could I pay to get this fixed? And they're like, Nope, that's covered. And, um, it's so cool that just to see how, how people see that and being like a smaller grassroots company that kind of came up and, and, and came up pretty slowly, like from our view, you know, you kind of like to a lot of people, I think it looks like Vortex came out of nowhere, but kind of, I think to us, it's like, well, you know, you you push the boulder up the other side of the mountain and nobody sees you uh, until you roll the boulder up over the top. Right. Yeah. And, and so you're doing, you're doing this hard work. And then when, once you get up there, people are like, Oh, look, came out of nowhere. It's like, well, you know, it, it definitely like, there's a lot of people that worked at Vortex for really, really decades before I worked there. Um, that, that, didn't that didn't see that you know they saw you know the hard work and and then it's like look we're going to do this for our customers and we're going to trust that it's the right thing to do and then you kind of hit that that critical mass where where people start buying your product and you know you said it earlier like it was one of the first things you noticed like you bought vortex because of the warranty and uh i think a lot of people kind of expected us to go away from that warranty once we started growing and becoming more popular but actually in, in kind of in our view, it's like, we're, we're actually doubling down on that. Like, um, one of, one of the cool things is, you know, just, uh, and I, I apologize. Sometimes I talk about vortex, like, like, like I'm from the outside, but I think 
one of the neat parts about Vortex is that um, it's kind of a company made up of our customers, really. Yeah. Like, you know, we get we get feedback from our customers, we get input from our customers, and then and then sometimes our customers come and, and work for us and get a job, you know, at Vortex. And so it's uh, <laughs> you'll you'll hear people talking about Vortex, and it, I don't we don't ever want it to come across as pride, but we actually just kind of think it's like it's kind of surreal to like have the have the job we have is like um so anyways what i was saying is like i think you know at vortex it's it's neat to see how people think you know like we need to fulfill what we've said we will do for our customers and that that to me is exciting um you know nobody knows nobody knows what the future holds we don't know what the next day holds for us but uh, the the goal is to continue to to make the customer um, the center of what we do and the center of our focus. And, and I think it, it's exciting to me you yeah. know, because it, you know, seeing, seeing kind of like um, seeing some of the, so many, so many customers that have supported us and, and um, it's just, honestly, it's humbling. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's uh as one of your customers, it's great to see how you all have grown as a, as a company and, you know, the fact that y'all doubled down on your warranty, that says a lot too about you. And uh, I'm definitely appreciative of that. And as of yet, I have never had to cash in on that warranty. Not saying it's not coming <laughs> and it may never happen, but um, I haven't had to, but it's there if I need it. So that is a nice safety net. It's there if you need it. I mean, you know, uh, throw it around a little bit more, drop it out of the tree stand a few more times, and uh, you know, we'll see. Well, we'll be there if you need us. I do have three kids, so there's a <laughs> we'll see. But uh, man, Ruben, I really appreciate your time tonight, and uh, hopefully, I didn't keep you too long. And this has been this has been great, and it's been really fun for me. And uh, something that I ask all of my guests who come on is uh it's it's hunting related and it's if you could hunt anywhere in the world where would you go and what would you hunt oh boy that's that's tricky because i'm so i i count myself really blessed to be from a part of the world where a lot of those opportunities are just out my back door and um you know i've i'm i'm really fortunate to get to you know to get to fill the freezer in the fall with good venison and um you know knock on wood, it's been awesome deer hunting here around where, where I'm from. Um, I, I grew up in, in, you know, West central Minnesota doing a lot of waterfowl hunting. And I kind of, you know, it kind of, it's surreal when you go down the list of things that you hear people talk about and it's like, man, I, I'm really lucky. I've gotten to do a lot of that stuff. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of right now, like, uh, couple of things I'm, I'm trying to figure out is like someday I want to, someday I want to moose hunt, uh, in, in North America somewhere. Um, you know, I think, I think it'd be cool to do a moose hunt in Canada or, or, uh, Alaska. Um, and also to, uh, go and, uh, do a, do a elk hunt, uh, to get a bull tag somewhere cool and, 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 uh, shoot a big bull, bull elk. But, um, I think, just being outdoors is, is really kind of the real prize and in, in getting to be, um, around great people. You know, when you're, when you're in the outdoors, I think, I think we get kind of spoiled. Uh, we're, we're so many, so much of the time we're surrounded by people that, um, 
you know, we can take it for granted when, when you're sitting around the fire in camp and you're talking to people and you, you get along about so many different things and you, you agree on so many things. It's like, man, um, you know, that doesn't happen in a lot of other, a lot of other activities in life. So, um, yeah, I think being outside and, and, you know, putting good meat in the freezer is, is the real, the real prize, but there are a couple things that I would like to do. Yeah, no, that moose hunt in America, that would be awesome. Real quick, we, we black bear hunted in Maine in 2011 and, uh, seeing a moose in person for the first time, that was surreal because those are some big animals. I mean, you see them and you think you know how big they are, like when you see them on TV, but when you see one in person, I was, I was blown away and, uh, it's definitely something that I will eventually do myself and, uh. I'm, yep. lo- I'm looking forward to seeing some pictures of you doing it as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll be a bucket list thing. That's, that's for sure. I, uh, I think I've, I think I should be drawing a bear tag here in Wisconsin in the next year as well. If everything works out, um, I think I've got, I should be set uh, to draw a, a bear tag in the area where I want to go up in Northern Wisconsin, either, um, it'll probably be next year. Um, but that'll be cool. I've got a good buddy of mine from high school that ended up relocating to Wisconsin for, uh, for work. And, um, uh, we're, we're good buddies growing up. And so I think that's going to happen. He's, he's got some, some good bears in the area where he, he lives now. And so we're kind of making it this grand reunion plan to get out and, uh, to bear hunt together. So, um, I think that one's, actually closer probably closer than i I, you know i'm probably not ready for it probably (laughs) it's going to come up on me and i'm not going to be ready for it so um but i think that one's pretty close um i've got a uh a family heirloom firearm uh an old winchester 3030 that uh, my great-grandfather bought when he got here from sweden and so um i i had that restored back to working condition this year and so that's kind of my goal is um, is to bear hunt with that because that's primarily what he did up on the, the North shore of Minnesota on Lake Superior. So that's, that's kind of one of the things that I'm really excited about. So, um, I try like not that. to look too far into the distant future, but that's, I think that one's right around the corner, man, that would be awesome. And, uh, that's really cool to do it with your, uh, uh your great granddad's gun, right? That's what you said. Your great granddad yep yeah so to do that with a gun that yeah the only downside is you can't get a suppressor on it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but no that is so cool to know especially you know when when, i don't want to use this term incorrectly because that hunt in itself would be successful whether you killed anything or not but once you do Mm -hmm. you know that's generations that have now taken that same gun and, and done that. I think that's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, when I, when I inherited it, um, the, you know, the first thing I thought of was like, you know, it was, it's old. Um, and, and it's a, it's a 1894. So, um, it was, it was actually made in 1895. So, for when you think Winchester 1894 or model 94, you, know, you think of a gun that's had, you know, uh, I, I want to say somewhere around 7 million of them have been made and it's, 
it was made in the second year of production. And so it's an old gun. And I think, I think with the condition and that it was in, um, it definitely wasn't shootable. Um, but I think, you know, it's, I just thought about it and it was like, you know, if I, if I have this restored, um, a, a good friend of mine named Ray actually did an amazing job, um, completely restoring it. So, you know, stripping down the wood, stripping down the metal, rebluing it, um, you know, and doing the color case hardening on the receiver. Um, you know, it's, I think from, a, from a collector's perspective, it's, it's not original anymore. So it loses a lot of that. From my perspective, it was like, this gun was never going to leave the family anyway. So it doesn't really matter what it's worth. Right. Um, I would rather have, you know, Leah and Maverick and Waylon and Josie, my kids, um, I would rather have them hunt with this. And so it was kind of a no brainer to get it restored, um, back to working condition. It's actually really pretty too. He he did an amazing job on it. So I kind of thought like, you know, first thoughts are like, well, if, if, even if you start restoring it, it's going to take away a lot of its value as an original gun. Um, but it really was, wasn't even a question. I would rather have it in working condition. And, um, my friends over at Hornady helped me pick out, um, you know, uh, uh, some, some ammo that's going to be safe to shoot out of it. And, um, even though with how old it is, um, I think, I think it's going to be really cool to get to take that out in the woods. And like you mentioned, Steven, I mean, it's, it's, it'll be a success from the time you step out into the woods, right? It's like, it doesn't really matter if you fill the tag. It's like, um, it's going to be, you know, doing that hunt will kind of be the measure of success. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, Ruben, again, thank you so much. This has been a very, very fun time. And, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart because this has been, this has been really fun. So thank you. No, I agree, man. It's been great, great chatting with you. Great getting to know you more. Um, you know, I guess the next step is getting together and, and, uh, getting out in the woods somewhere and, and, uh, finding something to hunt, right? Absolutely. And I've got my wheels turning and I'm going to be reaching out to you here in the next few days about where we're going to go kill something. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to it. Well, well, the invite's always there. Um, you know, if you'd like to come out and, uh, in November and, and, uh, trudge around in the woods here in Wisconsin. So you got it. I'll be there. Well, good deal. All right. Well, looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. And to all of our listeners, we just want to say thank you so much for all the continued support. It has gone above and beyond here in the last few weeks. We we definitely are looking forward to 2023. These first two months have been phenomenal. We hope that everything that we covered here with Ruben brings value to you. I know that I've, I've gotten a lot of value out of it, and I can't wait to re-listen to this and pick out those nuggets and uh, just want to say keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com. 